historic village of Rehrsburg in Berks County is named for Revolutionary War Lieutenant Jacob Rehrer, a son of Johann Gottfried Rehrer and Margaret Magdalena Rehrer, who, in the 18th century, settled in a region known as Altaho, which had originally been part of the manor of colonial governor Richard Penn. Many generations of this notable family continue to live in and around Rehrsburg, and today there are dozens of Rarers, Roarers, and Roars scattered around Berks County and surrounding counties who can trace their lineage back to Johann Gottfried and Maria Magdalena. Among Johann and Maria's other children were a daughter, Hannah Katharina, who was born in 1764, and Gottfried Rohrer, who was born in 1769. This Gottfried Rohrer was the father of Major Thomas Jefferson Rohrer, who was born in 1790 who rose to prominence in 1827 when he was first elected to the state legislature. Major Rarer moved to Harrisburg in 1832 with his wife, Salome Weiser, who was a direct descendant of Conrad Weiser, and later became the chief clerk in the land office of the Commonwealth, a position he held until 1866. They had three daughters, all of whom married into respectable families, and one son named Erasmus, who was the youngest of the Rarer family. Like his father, Erasmus Godfrey Rarer seemed destined for greatness. He served in Company E of the 129th Regiment of the Pennsylvania Infantry. He entered the service while a resident of Tamaqua and served honorably as an officer in the Union Army's Engineering Corps, rising to the rank of captain. After the war, he relocated to Tremont and entered into the coal mining business. As superintendent of the Tremont Coal Company, Captain Rarer, along with two partners, John Albrighton and Thomas Smith, saw an opportunity to strike it rich. After discovering a previously unknown vein of coal near the village of Donaldson, they formed their own company, obtained a lease on the land, and sunk all their savings into drilling a tunnel. According to reports, Captain Rarer put nearly $4,000 of his own cash into the venture. And that's when things went horribly wrong. It was well known around Donaldson that the captain's partners, Albrighton and Smith, objected to the tunnel. It was a true money pit in every sense of the word. In October of 1867, construction of the tunnel was stopped when a newly formed partnership ran low on funds. After obtaining loans, the work resumed and things were going smoothly until November 14th. On that evening, Albrighton, Smith, and Rarer met in the company office to discuss paying their workers. Before leaving the office for the night, Captain Rarer informed his partners that he would go to the Donaldson shaft to inspect the progress of the tunnel, and from there he would continue on to Pottsville by stagecoach. On Friday morning, November 15, 1867, Captain Rarer arose before dawn. After eating a hearty breakfast, he set out on foot to Donaldson. About a half mile down the road, he was met by John Copp, a miner who worked in the Eckert Mines just above Donaldson. The two men were acquainted, and Copp bid the captain good morning as he passed by. This was around six o'clock in the morning. Cop proceeded down the road toward the railroad, as was his usual custom. 
and that was the last anyone saw of Captain Erasmus Rarer. Although Rarer failed to arrive at Donaldson that fateful day, his absence didn't cause much excitement. The captain was known to take frequent business trips, but after several days had elapsed without word of his whereabouts, concerned friends and family members wrote to Erasmus's father, Thomas Jefferson Rarer, in Harrisburg, but Major Rarer could offer no explanation for his son's disappearance. Roland Jones, the captain's father-in-law, also hadn't heard a thing. As far as he knew, there had been no domestic troubles in the Rarer household. Based on the available evidence, or lack thereof, it didn't take long for locals to reach the conclusion that Erasmus Godfrey Rarer had been murdered. On Sunday, November 24th, a party of 200 citizens from western Schuylkill County began a thorough search of Tremont, Donaldson, and surrounding areas, exploring the bowels of active and abandoned mine shafts alike, but no trace of the young man could be found. The following afternoon, Chief Marshal Joseph Heisler of Governor Geary's newly formed Special Coal Police arrived in Tremont with his ten men, cracked open the safe in Rarer's office, and examined the documents inside. They found nothing in the captain's papers that offered a clue to his disappearance. Newspapers ran rampant with speculation surrounding the strange affair, and new theories as to Rarer's fate emerged as soon as new details about his life were put into print. Captain Rarer was a Freemason, and some suspected that some sort of shadowy secret society had been behind his murder. A reward of $500 was immediately offered by authorities, $250 for the recovery of the body, and an equal amount for the apprehension of the murderer. An additional $100 was later offered by the Tamakwa Masonic Lodge. As the search dragged on into its second week, the reward was increased. $1,000 by the Schuylkill County Commissioners, and $1,000 by Roland Jones and Major Thomas Jefferson Rarer. Naturally, suspicion soon fell upon Rarer's partners. After all, they had not been happy about the captain's plan to proceed with the drilling of the expensive Donaldson Tunnel. Without any evidence, John Albrighton Sr., John Albrighton Jr., Thomas Smith, and William Cooper were arrested on Wednesday, December 4th, and brought before Judge Fraley. The arrests were made on oath of a man named Cleaver Jones, who essentially had nothing more than a hunch that Rarer's partners had been behind the murder after he had found some of Rarer's soiled clothing inside his office. But perhaps these arrests would not have been made if not for a fortune teller. A psychic medium of English origin who lived in the vicinity had come forward stating that three men had been involved in the murder of Captain Erasmus Rarer. She also told Marshall Heisler that, if he were to search in a certain area, he would find two keys belonging to the victim. Marshall Heisler and his deputy traveled to Tremont, and, surprisingly, found the keys in the very spot the fortune teller had described. The initial hearing was held before Judge Fraley in the library room of the county courthouse in Pottsville. Cleaver Jones was the first witness called, 
and he told the court that he had found an outfit of the captain's clothing inside his office in Tremont. According to Jones, the right pant leg had a small hole in it, while the seat of the pants and the coat had dark stains that resembled blood. The next witness called was the wife of Erasmus Godfrey Rerer, who testified that the clothes entered into evidence were indeed the same clothes her husband had worn on the day of his disappearance. She also identified her husband's keys and memorandum book, which had also been left inside the office. Mrs. Rerer testified that her husband never went anywhere without them. Several other witnesses were called that day, including John Copp and Major Rerer. After the hearing, the Albrightons and William Cooper were released from custody. Thomas Smith, however, was bound over for court and released on $5,000 bail. On January 24, 1868, two months after the disappearance, Major Thomas Jefferson Rarer received a troubling visit at his home in Harrisburg. According to the visitor, a man named Carpenter who had represented himself as a detective, the body of his son had been thrown down an abandoned coal shaft. According to Major Rarer's visitor, his son's killers had been apprehended in Buffalo, New York. Evidently, Erasmus Rarer's disgruntled partners had arranged for these men to carry out the execution in order to get their hands on the coal lease. But could this incredible story be true? The Pottsville newspaper wrote that it had been one of the captain's partners, Thomas Smith, who had written to two men in Rochester that he had a big job for them to do. The thugs, who had been identified as James Brady and Patrick O'Hara, were so eager to comply they departed for Pennsylvania without replying to the letter, and Smith, worried about the lack of response, fired off another letter to Rochester, which aroused the suspicion of the Postmaster General. Upon reading the murderous missive, the Postmaster General turned the letter over to a detective. The story claimed that the detective tailed the two thugs for hire to Buffalo, where they were captured. It was the same detective, C.C. Carpenter, who had also visited John Albrighton, one of the captain's business partners. Carpenter had approached Albrighton and informed him that he was in possession of some explosive information that would lead to the arrest of Rare's killers. Carpenter then immediately traveled to Harrisburg to relay this information to Major Rare. C.C. Carpenter had obtained large sums of money from Major Rarer and John Albrighton Sr. by alleging that he had obtained the letter written by Thomas Smith, urging the two men to come to Tremont to kill Erasmus Rarer. All the detective needed was money to cover his expenses so that he could go to New York and capture them. Carpenter then went to Captain Rarer's father-in-law, Roland Jones, with the same story. Jones also forked over a tidy sum to the detective for his services, convinced that Carpenter was hot on a trail of the culprits. Carpenter then caught the midnight train to Tamaqua and paid a visit to Samuel Albrighton with 15 men, all of whom were wearing masks and dressed in black gowns. Claiming to be members of a secret society, 
the men entered the home and cornered Albrighton, who was in bed, and threatened to lynch him for the murder of Captain Rarer. But I'm innocent, proclaimed the young man. Carpenter, who told Albrighton that he was the head of the secret society to which Rarer belonged, promised the young man that he would spare his life if he confessed to the murder. When Carpenter reported back to Roland Jones and Major Rarer, he told them that John Albrighton had made a full confession and provided particulars of the dastardly deed. Captain Rarer, while walking to Donaldson, had been waylaid by two thugs hired by Thomas Smith, John Albrighton Jr., who was Samuel's brother, and David Lomason, who was the president of the Miners' Bank in Pottsville. It was Lomason who had given Captain Rarer the loan to carry on with the project at Donaldson. Carpenter reported that Rarer had been shot in the thigh, bludgeoned over the head with an iron bar, and his body dumped into an abandoned coal mine near Tremont with a heavy cog wheel tied to the ankle. Although Samuel Albrighton fingered his brother, he refused to implicate his father. The abandoned mine shaft in question was located near the Marshfield Colliery between Fremont and Middle Creek, and had been abandoned for years. It was filled with several hundred feet of water, which the Masonic Lodge of Tamaqua began pumping out at once without any thought of the expense. Meanwhile, acting on the report which C.C. Carpenter had given to Roland Jones, an arrest warrant was made out for John Albrighton Jr., Thomas Smith, and David Lomason. Friends of the accused protested the arrests, claiming that Samuel Albrighton's confession had been made under duress. A court date was set, but missing from the hearing was one important witness, the detective, C.C. Carpenter. A subpoena was issued, but when the detective failed to show up to testify, it became abundantly evident that he had been nothing more than a con artist who had used the rarer case to fatten his own wallet. Further proof of this was obtained by the district attorney, after he telegraphed the authorities in Buffalo and Rochester and discovered that no persons named James Brady and Patrick O'Hara had been arrested, or that the postmaster general had intercepted a letter written by Thomas Smith. Judge Ryan ordered the immediate release of Lomason and Albrighton, though Smith remained in custody until the pumping of the abandoned shaft was complete. As one might expect, there was no corpse chained to a cogwheel at the bottom. Smith was then released. Even though the local authorities had been fooled by a swindler and had egg on their faces from illegally arresting three innocent men for murder, they continued to search for the body of Captain Erasmus Godfrey Rarer and his supposed killers. Until a strange twist of events at a presidential inauguration in Washington, D.C. put the perplexing mystery to rest once and for all. On March 4, 1869, outgoing President Andrew Johnson ruffled feathers by boycotting the inauguration of the 18th President of the United States, Ulysses S. Grant, an occurrence that would not occur again until 2021, when Donald Trump boycotted the inauguration of Joe Biden. Light rain had fallen all morning, but by noon the sun had come out, and eight full divisions of soldiers, the largest inaugural parade in American history up to that time, marched down Pennsylvania Avenue to the east portico of the Capitol building, 
where the great hero of the Civil War would be sworn in by Chief Justice Salmon P. Chase. Standing amid the large throng of onlookers along the parade route was a Tamaqua resident, George W. Cole. As a detachment of Marines assembled for the procession down Pennsylvania Avenue, Cole's attention was fixed on a soldier wearing the chevron insignia of a sergeant. The face looked quite familiar to Cole, and in a few moments he was able to place it. Impulsively, Mr. Cole elbowed through the crowd and approached the soldier, much to the astonishment of the commanding officer of the Marine detachment. Gasps and shouts erupted from the sidewalk as the angry man stormed past the helpless Marine commander and grabbed the sergeant roughly by the collar. Could this be a disgruntled supporter of Andrew Johnson looking to make trouble? Erasmus Godfrey Rarer declared the parade crasher. The Marine sergeant told Cole that he must be mistaken, as Cole dragged him by the scruff of his neck into the lobby of a nearby hotel. The commanding officer followed on their heels, demanding to know what was going on. Inside the hotel, George Cole told the commander about the disappearance of Captain Rarer in Pennsylvania and all the trouble it had caused throughout Schuylkill County. The commander suggested they should go into a private room and discuss the matter. Once inside, the Marine sergeant broke down and confessed that he was indeed the missing mine operator. Rarer confessed that he had decided to skip town on that fateful day in 1867. He was heavily in debt to his father, his father-in-law, business partners, and David Lomason from the bank. When he saw that there was no possible way to extricate himself from his precarious pecuniary situation, he went to Treverton and worked odd jobs until he had saved up enough money to go to Baltimore, and later to Philadelphia. It was there, in the city of brotherly love, where he had enlisted in the Marine Corps, believing that he would soon be stationed in some foreign land. But fate had other ideas. Instead, Rarer was ordered to go to Washington and take part in the Grand Military Parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. Sadly, the fortune of his father, Major Thomas Jefferson Rarer, was wasted in the search for his son's body and the search for the killers who never existed. Hard times also fell upon his in-laws and former business associates, who were driven out of the county. Thomas Smith and the Albrightons eventually prospered in coal mining in Luzerne County, though it took them quite some time to recover their losses. As for Lomason, the man who had loaned Rarer the funds to carry on with the Donaldson venture, he lost a shirt off his back and left the banking industry, his reputation tarnished and his name disgraced. As for Captain Erasmus Rarer, he somehow managed to patch things up with his wife, and the two of them moved to Eustis, Florida, where he remained until his death in 1921 at the age of 90. If you enjoyed this podcast, look for my latest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 2 available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com, or through the Sunbury Press website at www.sunburypressstore.com. The Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. 
Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Find the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite programs. New episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month.